Welcome to the Rip Hard Podcast by guitarists for guitarists. And now your hosts, John Brown and A.L. Levy. Welcome to the Riff Hard Podcast. We're now up to episode 51 and we're just one week away from our one year anniversary. Ayla and myself would like to thank you from the bottom of our hearts for enjoying the podcast. We've spoken to some incredible guitar players over the course of the past year and we don't plan on slowing down. Remember, if you like what you're hearing, then share the podcast with your friends. We also really like iTunes reviews. If you want to share our episodes to Instagram, make sure you tag myself and Al. You can find and follow me at Brown Monuments. That's B-R-O-W-N-E-M-O-N-U-M-E-N-T-S. And to follow Al, it's Al Levy URM Audio. And that's spelt E-Y-A-L-L-E-V-I-U-R-M-A-U-D-I-O. We'll never charge you for this podcast, so keep enjoying it. All we ask in return is a share, post, or attack. Anyway, let's get on to this week's guest. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Riff Hard Podcast. Our guest today is Francesco Artusato, who is an Italian-born guitar player, songwriter, and graphic designer. After playing guitar for only two and a half years, Francesco auditioned and was admitted to Berkeley, where he actually studied film scoring, crazy enough. And throughout his musical career, he's played as a solo act, also with All Shall Perish, and more recently in the metal supergroup Light the Torch, which was previously The Devil You Know. Anyways, I present you Francesco Artusato. Welcome to the Riff Hard Podcast. Hey, how's it going? Hey, Francesco. Good to see you again. It's been a long time. Absolutely. Good to see you guys. It's been like a decade. Yeah, it's, it's definitely, must have been a decade. Like first time I met you was at uh, Monterey Park, right? Yeah. You were coming to hang out with George and do some work. Yeah, it's been a very long time. Yeah, it's been a very long time. It's good to see that you're still doing great. Oh, thank you. By the way. Appreciate it. Thank you. So, you know, we never talked about this back in the day. I didn't know that you hurt yourself and were not even pursuing music and that that led to you playing guitar. I know a couple other people who have had similar sorts of stories like uh, Andy from uh, Thyroid's Murder suffered a pretty traumatic injury which led him to stop playing sports and start playing guitar. It's an interesting story because usually you think injury means you stop doing physical things like guitar but uh, you were saying that that kind of was uh, what got you started actually. Yeah absolutely. Back then I was uh, obsessed with martial arts and that's all I was you know, trying to do. Obviously, I was young. I, I was still going to school and all that, but just like I only care about, you know, martial arts and that's what I wanted to do. And then I got this injury and um, I was on my right foot. And then I was told basically, you won't be able to really do anything for six months. You can't really even like stand, you know, and uh, without being hurt, uh, like without hurting. And at that point, you know, it's like for somebody who's usually gets obsessed about that one thing. It's like, I was just lost for a minute. It's like, what the hell am I going to do now for six months? And, uh, and it's so weird because I was at that time I was 19. My brother played guitar. My cousin played guitar. I always had guitars around, but I never tried to play one. It's like the, during that whole time. Why not? Just not interested? 
it's so weird. So like, I always loved music and uh, grew up in a family where, where you just listen to music all the time. My parents would take me to all kinds of concerts so from classical music to like pop and, you know, anything really. And it's just bizarre how much like I like music, but I tried I, I, uh, when I was like 14, I tried to play saxophone and uh, it just wasn't my thing, I guess. I was, you know, so at that point I felt like, okay, my brother's already doing guitar, you know, it's his thing. And, it, and it's so bizarre. I waited all those years to even try to play a note on it. It's like, uh, and then I remember at that time, it's like, I was actually talking proud to my brothers, like, what the hell am I going to do now? And then it's like, oh, try to play. And seriously, like a week later, I was like telling my parents, oh, I found this school in America. I need to move. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to be like, go to Berkeley and uh, I'm going to do music. My parents were like, uh, you're supposed to go to the university and do your normal things. <laughs> so it was like crazy how obsessed I got immediately, you know, after playing. And then obviously started seeing like, holy shit, people are supposed to start when they're like 12, 14. That's when they, you get good. It's like, I, well, how old were you? I was 19. Oh shit. That is late. Yeah. So like automatically right away, like, oh fuck, I'm going to have to practice so much. I'm going to have to just, you know catch up in a way or another and so yeah i got i became very very obsessed with it and uh that's all i started doing it's interesting because uh you mentioned two things that would normally totally discourage people one is you hear a lot of people feeling like they're too old to do anything cool with their life and 19 is not too old to do something cool with your life it's never too late to do something cool with your life but still people tell themselves these weird stories about it's too late. If you couple both being quote unquote too old with the depression from an injury, that might be enough to get a lot of people to just kind of give up on pursuing things. But it sounds like it had the opposite effect on you. Yeah, I think like uh, for me, it was like the necessity of finding something to do and spend a lot of time doing it. It's just like it's always been... Even now, it's like if, you know, it's not anymore with music. I mean, I have my, you know, the times where, you know, I'm writing or doing things where it just, it's all about music. But whatever I do, I just like to just do a lot of it. You know, I can't just, you know, spend a couple hours doing the thing. And it's like, I don't know. It's always been like this. So I think like right away, I needed to find something to really fall in love with. And the, the funny thing is like, I thought, okay, I'll play guitar for like a few months and then, you know, back at doing the other things and, you know, music completely took over at that point. It was like, no, this is what I, I'm going to be doing. So after your injury, did you find that you didn't really want to go back to martial arts or is it, that it took a back seat? I did try to kind of do both and I don't know, it just wasn't working my head. It's like, I just need to focus on one thing. That's how I felt. So it's interesting that you say that because you didn't major in guitar at Berkeley. You do graphic design. You do multiple things. You did a film scoring at Berkeley, right? Which is a super intense career path in and of itself. Usually you don't hear about people being good at that and then also really good at guitar. Like it's Usually there's only enough time to do one. It's not like you couldn't do multiple things. Sounds like you kind of have to do multiple things, but it sounds to me like for some reason your brain couldn't do both for whatever reason. And I kind of relate to that 
once I make something my priority, I have a really hard time doing anything else. I'm kind of an extremist like that. That can be a gift, I think. Well, as long as you're focusing on something good. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, like uh, I, I feel like if I was building model trains or something, it might not be good. I think if you're the type to get obsessive, you should try your hardest to get obsessed with something that's going to make your life better. Not to say that having a hobby is a bad thing, but uh, if you have to take shit all the way, choose something that will actually pay off. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, and the thing is like uh, with the graphic design, for example, that's something that started way later. You know, I always like being, you know, fascinated, you know, looking at artwork and paintings and, and digital art. But that's something that I never even like remotely thought at some point I'm going to try to get into. And uh, that actually happened because of uh, I was so like with, with music, music had at that time, I kind of was like in between enjoying it and not enjoying it because of uh, I don't know if you're aware, but with the Old Shell Parish, we had that stuff with the lawsuit going mm -hmm. and that happened exactly when we finished a new record. So I spent so much time working on a new record. Record was done. And then the lawsuit happens. And then like, oh, bye-bye. See you later. You're not in the band anymore. Nothing gets released. We can't even change name or put the music out as a, you know, as a di different entity. It's like, can't do anything. All right, cool. That was a great waste of time. On top of that, we were dealing with the, you know, in Devil, you know, that's when we started to have like a really shitty vibe with one of the band members. And that's also what, brought the whole name change. And so I was like, so kind of done in a way, like music had become just a, a job. And it was like with a lot of bad stuff going on. And that's when I, I, I thought I was like, I, I need a hobby, you know? But before then I, I was like, I kind of never thought I could do something other than music. But honestly, like, I think like the, the biggest lesson, at least for myself, was that once I started you know, uh, use a different, dif different creative, uh, you know, outlet with the doing artwork and doing stuff like that. I, I, I realize how much is everything's connected, you know, as an artist, you just like, it doesn't matter how you're creative. If you're creative, everything brings back to the same, you know, pot and everything you, you're doing, it would just uh, develop from that. And, uh, so yeah, I, I think like when I was, younger, I was just, uh, you know, it's like literally became a, a, a time where, you know, I had my, my parents and my, my brother even telling me, he's like, you're not going out anymore. You're not seeing friends. What the hell happened? You just like, just want to, you know, stay inside and play guitar. And then I remember at that time, even feeling like, wow, that sounds like I'm a weirdo or like, I'm, I'm not doing the things that other people are doing, but you know, now I'm like, I'm obviously married, you know, I have a, I, I do have a normal life, but it's a, it goes back to, you know, just finding something where you just, you know, you get completely lost in, and now it's like a lot of it's like, I just love learning like a 3d software. It's, it's kind of like a, a fun thing to do. You know, it's like, a, it's more fun than watching a movie, playing video games, or I just like sit and then learn a new software. And it, and the, the 3D stuff, it's so trippy, man. It's like, like obviously, like uh, music software. I, I I never, I don't know, with music software to me was, uh, it's necessary and it's good to learn it well. But 
and then like you know even dealing with all the plugins and all the things it is like uh, fun to do but with like 3d software it's just it's just such a trip it's like all these visuals that you can create all these like different environments different things so it's like it just spend hours and hours doing that and just literally like oh what if i make put the light over here and i change this like i don't know time of the day at sunset and you do all these things it's uh it's, it's really fun i think there's a misconception about creativity that it's confined to the medium that you're working with. So like, I know that when I stopped playing guitar or stopped doing my band and started pursuing business, that a lot of people were very uh, perplexed by it. Like they didn't understand how someone that was super creative could just drop it. But like, to me, I never stopped being creative ever. I just took that energy and put it into something else. I am just creative as I've always been. It, like it never, ever stopped. I feel like creativity is independent of the medium, completely independent. What the medium itself is purely superficial and is as important. It's important in order to get you interested in creating, right? Like you have to enjoy the medium and be inspired by it. But at the end of the day, the medium is literally just a vehicle for your creativity. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. With the 3D modeling that you do, and what style are you doing? Because I, uh, I actually studied graphic design when I was back at school. Oh, nice. And I, f I found that the 3D modeling software was actually more infuriating than a DAW at the time. So I'm quite interested in what le what sort of like kind of 3D modeling that you're into. Yeah. Well, I started at first, I was like, you know, first software that I downloaded was a, it's called Blender. It's like, it's free software, but it's like a, it's an amazing software and it's getting, you know, developed more and more. And it's kind of like something that you could compare to Maya. You're probably familiar with, with that one. So I started with that. Then uh, it felt like from the get go felt a little, you know, I don't know, not, not very creative. You know, the first approach is like, Jesus, you got to learn so much stuff before you even can try to do something creative. And so then I switched to this program called ZBrush, which is like a 3D sculpting. You basically, you literally sculpt like you're sculpting using clay. And then, uh, you know, and, and, and it's so much fun. And so I did that uh, a bunch, just like, you know, obviously it helps to have a, you know, a drawing tablet because otherwise you can't really like, you know, m like morph this, you know, you can literally start from like a sphere of basically clay and then you start changing it. And it's basically, that's the software that gets used pretty much for everything. Now, when you create like a high polygon models for anything from that you see on, t on you know, CG, anything, video games, pretty much everything's done in, in ZBrush now because it's like the sculpt like the way you can sculpt is like next level compared to other software. But then I learned it's like, okay, now you can't animate this because now you have millions of polygons and they're too heavy. So you have to start what's called decimating like this, this um, models. And then you, with programs like, uh, you know, Maya or, you know, or others, you can start animating and rigging these things. And so I ended up, like starting to learn all the other stuff. And uh, now I'm doing like 3ds Max. And then because of 3D, the 3ds Max, you know, you started like uh, working more on hard surface. 
so things that are like more angular, more more things. And and me being like passionate about cars, my you know always loving cars, I started you know kind of wanting to to create vehicles and things like that. And uh, and recently the the one thing that uh, this actually happened during the you know last year during the pandemic, I started learning Unreal Engine. So with Unreal Engine, you you can literally do everything you can you can, now you can like create a movie you can make a video game it's like it's it's insane and the fact that it's like real time so you don't you don't really have to wait hours and hours to render things you know and uh so that's like i overall with like software that i do for because also i obviously do like um you know in, in for 2d like in post i work with with photoshop and so Overall, like I, I use like 10, 12 different software for like 3D. The best thing about learning these skill sets is they're completely transferable into the music world for different situations as well, while still being creative. That's kind of one of the main reasons that I delved more into that side of it as well, like video editing or, you know, learning to use Photoshop, Illustrator, just those skills can help you so much with anything musical because they just come into play at the same time as the music yeah absolutely absolutely and it's actually like so like i was uh that's one of my favorite concept artists vitaly bulgarov he's like uh he's a like insane just just the best what's his name vitaly bulgarov okay i'm looking him up it's next level oh yes this is outrageous. Oh, yeah, this guy's nuts. I was listening to a podcast where he was like the guest on the podcast. And uh, and actually he was talking like uh, I, I followed him for years. So like older podcasts, he was just obsessed with just like working. And it's like seriously a guy who everything during the day is timed. It's like, so it'll be like five minutes to do this, then work on this. Then it's like, it's just like a maniac like that. And I think like at that point, I felt like that's the only way to achieve that level of, you know, greatness. But it's, it's interesting that one of the later podcasts where he wasn't, he was actually talking about how he changed like, kind of like his life in a way there. Now he just has more time for, you know, personal, you know, more personal time. And also like the fact that his uh, music started being a hobby for him. And then he was actually talking about how much music and writing a song is comparable to being a concept artist. And then, and then talking about this, I realized like how much it's, it's basically exactly the same process, the same thought process and creativity, like the way it's been used. It's kind of like the same thing. And I think like ultimately that's what I kind of, you know, without realizing I was like really wanting to do. Do you think that there's also a parallel between this level of detail with the film scoring that you did because orchestration and learning electronics and just the technical side of film scoring is super complicated. Yeah, I think so. The amount of details and, you know, the things that you can notice, like in terms of an image, it's something that, you know, you look at an image and you, you like, you're mesmerized by it. But then once you start studying it, that's when you you see more and more into it. And it's kind of the same thing with, you know, my favorite music being still now like classical music, how much like of that you get from it. You know, it's just like the more you listen to the same piece, you will always find new new things to that you're hearing. Do you feel that way about guitar playing that the further in you get to it, the more things you discover that like the deeper you need to go? 
or at least at one point in time? I think so, especially at one point in time. I think like uh, right right now is like I'm in a in a phase, and I'm not afraid of saying it. You know, it's it's a thing. It's like I think it's part of like being an artist and evolving. Like I'm a like like I used to be like so in so much into you know shredding because like, to me like when you when you shred and it's like you know in order to get to that point or level to be able to do that you it's it's almost like comparing like an image that are like a Vitali's image where there's like so much in it and there's so much technique and so much like right but then I, or like being a super athlete exactly but then it's like especially and I think like more and more the 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 graphic design the artwork part like studying that I realized is like also I uh, thanks to one of my, you know, good friend who's like an art director in the in the industry here in LA, and uh, he helped me so much. He gave me so many like basically free lessons, just hanging out and drinking beers. But I realized how much like the the composition aspect in an image, it's pretty much everything, the lighting and all those things. Like so, at first I thought I was like, oh, it's all about the details. It's all about like, and to me that's comparable to like shredding. And then in the end, I like. With an image, I realized how much is like, it's actually the small details are not what's really like making a difference. And because like the technique, even with this, the 3D software, you know, you can learn the technique. You can make something super complicated, but it's, in, it's not going to flow. The for, like the, the, just the, the lines, the, the, you know, the, the overall model is not going to look as good as something that a guy like Vitali does. And that's what I like, to me, it's kind of similar to the way like I'm now more fascinated with the writing a song that could be simple, you know, once you listen to it, it sounds simple. Like the stuff that we're doing now is like the torches. It's very simple music in the end, at least to my ears. But I find more of a challenge and and at, a, at this time in like in my life and life of an artist, I feel like I'm just, um, it's more of a challenge that, that I'm uh, interested in and uh, I'm just having more fun doing that. So I don't know. It's like, if I could say like guitar right now, I'm seeing like all this, like I'm seeing guitar more in depth than I used to. I think like uh, I see guitar as one of the many instruments that are part of a sound that is a song. It sounds to me too. Like I, I see a parallel between what you're saying about uh, Vitali and uh your guitar playing in that you said that he was super structured and rigid as hell because there's so much involved with what he was doing. He had to get it down to five minute increments. Um, and then uh, he stopped doing that and started focusing more on life and hobbies. And But he was already at a level where he could do that. And I would say that had he not put in the time uh, that super disciplined time for however long he did that he wouldn't be at the point where he can be as awesome as he is and then also relax or start doing other things. And I would say that it's kind of a similar thing with guitar. Like you have to put in X amount of time. It's usually years of pretty disciplined work to get to a certain point. And then I feel like uh, it, you have the platform on which to change your focus or expand but you already did that work do you think also that it's a bit kind of like once you get to a certain level such as that artist i'm not going to try and pronounce his name i do apologize he kind of doesn't have anything left to prove at that level and at that point it's almost more that you're just trying to find the sounds well in this case if it was related to music you're trying to find the 
the arrangement of different sounds, timbres and notes that go together that really like hit you right there. Kind of like classical music does. You know, like you were saying, you listen to a different piece and every single time you pick up something different because maybe you haven't overanalyzed it because you're enjoying the entire image, let's say. And I think that's probably why a lot of, you know, a lot of people that get to a certain level, regardless of what field, after a while, you'll find that they change their mindset to go from this super complex, either imagery, music, and tame it down to try and find the sounds that they, that, that they like. Because I know that I've definitely done that as well. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's really well put. Yeah, I agree with you, for sure. Well, the thing is, though, you guys are both capable of creating those sounds now. I can't shred. <laughs> no, but you don't want to. I did once upon a time. But the thing that you do is uh, is just as hard, in my opinion. I just think that like you have to get to the point where you're able to just visualize things and create them. And depending on what your musical vision is, will kind of determine how hard you need to go for it technically in the development phase. But I think that it's kind of a natural trajectory for any kind of artist uh, to put in, let's just say development work in earlier stages until they get to a point where it's not that they have nothing left to learn, right? You can always get better, but they're no longer getting in their own way. What they imagine in their head is no longer out of reach of what they can do with their hands or what they can create when they start playing or uh, writing. So the focus doesn't need to be as intense with the technical stuff. Yeah, I, I agree. It's not that I got to a point that I feel like, oh, I learned everything that I could about guitar playing or like, I mean, no way. There's like people just like so good everywhere. Another thing that I think like one of the biggest lessons I ended up learning is like for the longest time I was trying to, you know, when I pick up the guitar and then feeling like I got to rush it. I got to not rush it, but I got to like, you know, play catch up with the big names or like, I want to become as good as those guys. What the hell I'm going to have to, you know, but it's not about becoming as good as that one guy. It's about becoming as good as you can, as good as, you know, it feels right for, for what you want to do with it. That's hard, though. Really hard. That takes some maturity. Oh, absolutely. It, it took me years and years. Like, And then I realized, like, for many years, I was just not satisfied with anything I was doing because of I would always compare myself with the better players. The moment that you can turn off that and say, it doesn't matter if, you're as good as that person, the amount of relief and weight off your shoulders that comes from that moment is something that every guitar player or any artistic person should learn. Absolutely. And and for me, it was like, that's when they, you know, like you said, it's like, it's what a relief. Like I'm not, you know, it's my, my goal is not to, to become as good as such and such. It's like, it's, become as good as I can. It's my journey. That shit would torture me. Right. <laughs> yeah. Like try to write something and then I'd hear like an Opeth song and just be like, God damn it. Oh, that happens still now, doesn't it? I'm pretty sure it happens to Francesco as well. Oh yeah, absolutely. Every single time I hear Hans Zimmer, I want to break down and cry from how beautiful it is. But at the same time, it's like, I know that I can't be Hans Zimmer. So it's all good. Yeah, exactly. It's hard to not torture yourself, though. How did you get over that? In a way, I still do. It's just more under control. Yeah, I think I have my moments where I'm like, you know, I, like I'm sure you guys experience like you, you work on something, you're like super proud of it. 
And then maybe, I don't know, sometimes it's a day later, sometimes it's a month later or a year later, you listen to it again, it's like, oh, this is terrible. It's like, what the hell was I thinking? It's like, I gotta do better. <laughs> and then at the same time, maybe the same day you're listening to something that is really good. And then you just, you know, that can be tough. And that still happens, obviously. But I think as long as that gives you the right energy to be like, okay, I'm going to sit down and then do something better. It's like either you know, perfect what I was working on or write something new. As long as that has like a positive effect more than I hear all the time from like, uh, you know, people that tell me, you know, I'm, tr I'm trying to write a song and then I get to a point where it's like, I'm not happy with it and I just give up and then throw everything away. And it's just like, so you never finish a song. You never kind of like, you have to find a way to just like, uh, Sometimes like the discipline of just no matter what, sit down and do it. You know, one of the things actually like at Berkeley, one of the best things I learned from one of the teachers, and this was good old Andy, because we were talking about writing music and I was like sounding frustrated saying like, oh, I can't really write like anything that is decent or blah, blah, blah. And then he was telling me like, oh, how much time do you spend a day like on, you know, technique and just, you know like perfecting that aspect and it told oh many many hours well how many how much time do you spend a day writing songs and then it'll be like oh you know just write a song every once in a while and try to and it's like no that yeah now try to do this like write a song a day and then my goal for the, the next year was like try to write a song a day it could be like crap you know it's fine if it's totally garbage and you throw it away it just you just gotta do it you know and then the more you do it did you stay at the dorms at all at Berkeley? No, I didn't. Okay, because I kind of learned a very similar thing when I was staying at the dorms because the dorms had the practice rooms. And so I would bump into these, the same guitar players every single day. And there were these dudes who would literally get there in the morning and, you know, I'd go, I'd go like practice in the morning, then go do shit, come back and practice again at night or something. And they'd still be there every single fucking day. And they're <laughs> always doing the same thing, always doing the exact same thing. It was either sweep exercises or alternate picking scale exercises, one or the other, all fucking day. And then every once in a while, they try to write a song um, and they would play it for me and it sounded exactly like what they were working on all fucking day. It sounded like these alternate picking exercises and then some sweeps and then some more alternate picking exercises and some more sweeps. And it just became super obvious to me that, of course, that's what their music sounds like. That's all they do all the time. It's not, it's not a measure of anything other than what they're focusing on. They're focusing on their technique all the time. So their writing sounds like their technique. That's it. That's not deeper than that. If they were to cut that time in half and write six hours a day, every day, and then only practice six hours a day instead of 12, their writing would get way, way, way better, way more interesting. But they were viewing their writing as, as an afterthought, as an afterthought to these insane technical practice sessions. And yeah. There's a, it's not a mystery that that's what they're writing ended up sounding exactly like. There's a phrase that translates to this very well. We are what we eat. Yep. Like you are, you basically are the parts of the information that you put out into the world. So if you're going to spend all that time too in technique, then your songs are going to sound like techniques. It's just, I remember that happened to me when I was younger. 
And the only way to get past it is to focus on exactly what it is you want to do. So you said you've been focusing more on songwriting lately, Francesco. Yeah, absolutely. What kind of uh, things have you been writing? Like for the past few years, honestly, it's it's been just uh, working on songs for the band. You know, I'm like, I'm, I'm the one who writes the music. So I just like, even in between records, I try to, you know, I usually what I do, like when I'm done writing, I kind of take time off from like a little bit of everything, like in, in terms of, I don't try to write for a while. And, uh, and I usually try to listen to music that is very different, like in any way possible from what I was doing. And, um, and after that, I usually start like do my, my research. I start listening to, you know, I go back to like, okay, the bands I like, or the bands that I know that are like doing the, what I consider like good stuff. And so I start checking those out and, uh, and I kind of like start create, I, I create this like list of songs that I really, that really in a way or another, give me something. And then it could be like, I don't know, some electronic part in one song, but that I really like it. And it really, in a way I want to take something from it. And, uh, yeah, after that, just, you know, just write, I usually like, I don't really start writing for a record thinking of the actual record. Like, oh, I want this record to sound like this or that. I just write whatever feels, you know, at the moment. It's like just natural. But then obviously it gets to a point where I'm more um, focused on the actual sound of the record. So if uh, if out of five songs, I have four songs that kind of have a sound, like, well, that's probably going to be the sound of the record. Yeah, and even the, for this last record we we did basically i was like for a year and a half like in between tours and stuff just uh just writing a bunch throwing away so much music because that's that's the one thing that is like i i guess like nobody tells you in the beginning that the majority of the music that you write you're probably going to throw it away and that's actually something that's very difficult to accept like all the time you know you hear people's like oh i have this part i wrote three years ago it's like are you still working on it like i mean i get i get if it's interesting that you say that because see i agree with you but (laughs) i knew this was coming up we have to talk about this yeah because dude i totally agree with you on this when i was writing for the band or whatever, the guitar record, literally 30% or 25% of everything I wrote would get used. The rest just thrown away. And I was totally fine with that. And I would never want to hear that stuff again. (laughs) My thoughts were just, you write a lot, a lot of stuff. And then out of that lot of stuff, you know, some of it's going to be okay. Even less is going to be good. And then a tiny amount is going to be awesome. And then an even tinier amount is going to be great. And looking for that stuff that's awesome and great and fuck the rest. But I know that Brown doesn't agree with that, which is interesting to me. Okay. I'm curious to hear. You just don't understand the thought process, eh? Well, well I all... understand. It's just different <laughs> than mine. Okay, right. Let me let me put this in better words this time. So the reason I don't throw anything away is because kind of like how Francesco was saying that he listens to different artists and tries to take bits and pieces that he likes the sound of. Just because in that moment that I thought it was complete crap doesn't mean that two years later that that couldn't inspire something that's great by the note choice or the rhythm choice. And 
I often say the words, I'm not ready for it yet. And I really do stand by that, that sometimes some ideas, maybe they don't work with what you're doing in that moment, or maybe they just aren't fitting for the purpose. And obviously that takes the mind to think it's shit. And yeah, a lot of it will be complete shit. But if you're ever stuck, then one of those ideas that you had that you've now completely forgotten because you've erased your hard drive or you've deleted it, it could inspire something great. So that's kind of why I keep everything. Okay. So partially, I mean, I, in a way I, I agree with that. So I don't actually physically throw away anything. I have like hard drives with like so many songs, but what I'm saying, like every once in a while I, I go like this happened actually a few weeks ago. I, I just like, I grabbed one of the old hard drives and then when I was just listening to stuff and I, and I kind of like surprised myself. I was like, holy crap, this is good. Why didn't I do anything with it? I know what you mean. It's like, you might find something that inspires you. But for some reason, I always feel like if something that I did uh, let's say two or three years ago, I could do better. So maybe I should rewrite it. I know what you mean. Yeah. So that's the way I used old stuff that I, I've written. But like uh, what I was like saying earlier, I think it's like uh, one of the things like a lot of people don't realize is is that it's fine to throw away your art. It's the same thing with the, with the images. Like at first... You know, I would like spend hours and hours doing something 3D, you know, I, you know, at first everybody's going to suck. And so the stuff that I was doing was really terrible. It's like no idea of, you know, really what I was doing, but just because I spent so many hours, I felt like this is done. And then it's not, you know, it's, it's, it's fine to just not use it. It's fine to not show it to anybody. It's like, what's important to understand is like, that's not a waste of time. You, no. you, you work really hard on making yourself better. It's like, it, it almost like the song that you don't get to release is more important than the one that the ones you, you get to release. Cause there's more stuff that you work on and you never like release, but those help you create that one song that is really good. I agree with that too. Completely. I totally agree. Back when I used to write the metal sucks blog, which was back uh, probably around the last time I saw you. I wrote one about writing great stuff. Basically, my idea was that one of the big problems that prevents like local artists, for instance, from getting any better is the amount of times that they write. The less that you write, the less opportunities you're going to have to write something awesome. Basically, the further apart those great times are going to be. So um, I kind of looked at it like, a sine wave where at the top you have something amazing at the bottom of the sine wave, you have something terrible. And that frequent, the frequency of that wave kind of determines how often you're going to get something great. And the further apart it is, uh, the less chances you're going to have for, uh, something awesome. And I think that one of the ways that, yeah, local artists shoot themselves in the foot is by not doing it all the time or by getting too attached to things that aren't that good and not moving on. And I think that the key to getting better is to just make more, make more, make more, make more. doesn't matter if it's not good. It doesn't matter at all. You just need to keep on making more and making more and making more. And then uh, the thing is, too, I don't think that anyone totally understands where inspiration actually comes from. You know, some people think that it's beamed down from a spaceship. Some people think that, some people think that it's, you know, 
you're in the right mood and your influences all congeal in a moment in time, like whatever, whatever it is, like we don't really know when it's going to hit or exactly what causes it. All we can do is give ourselves enough chances to be in the presence of it when it does hit. The only way that we're going to do that is by writing a lot uh, or getting super fucking lucky, right? Like a person that writes three times a year and those three things are fucking amazing. <laughs> That's that's uh, like uh, winning the writing lottery yeah. or something. So I don't see the bad songs as a waste of time at all. I see them as necessary. Yeah. Absolutely necessary. Um, also, by that token, and I'm curious what you think, I don't think that career setbacks are a waste of time either. You know, you mentioned the uh, All Shall Perish lawsuit. I was talking to somebody the other day who got signed to a really good label kind of late in the game, mid-30s, and had a bunch of false starts leading up to that. Quote-unquote false starts, because part of the time he was playing session guitar for some signed artists, doing some songwriting for other people, had a couple bands that were being courted by labels and fell through. And it was just trying, failing, trying, failing, trying. And then, you know... Things worked out and they're working out now. He said that uh, he wishes that he hadn't wasted all that time. And my thoughts were, what do you mean by wasted all that time? Things are working out now. You have no way of knowing that if you had done things differently, that it would have worked out before, but it's working out now. So obviously you needed to do all those things to get to this point. I think it's very similar to the writing idea. But what do you think when you think back to shit like the lawsuit or whatever, that it was a waste of time? Because you mentioned, you said those words earlier. Well, you talk like my therapist. (laughs) (laughs) We we talked before this. (laughs) Yeah. Like now, like for the past, I guess, year, I'm starting to see like the the really, you know, low moments in in somebody's life. I, I do see as like those prepare you, you know, those are making you grow. You know, and uh, at the time when it happens, you just hate it. And you just like wish things were completely different. But obviously, in the end, those are like huge lessons. And uh, yes, I do feel like going through all that, for example, like just alone, the fact that with the Howard and Ryan, when it was time to move forward after Devil You Know, I was the one saying like, we're now moving forward. If we don't change name. I experienced that crap with All Shall Perish. We are changing name. I don't, you know, it's like that, that just that alone. It's like you learned your lesson, you know, and, uh, and thank God we did that. So yeah, otherwise I would have probably, yeah, would have probably, yeah, let's just move forward with the same name and then we'll deal with this later. That's what happened with Orshel Pitters basically. And, um, so yeah, just that alone, big lesson and all the other things, I mean, they, they, you know, crappy things that happen and they just hurt when they happen. There's like so many things that didn't go the way I wish they would go. But yeah, if I see it now, I I see, you know, it's like being years later, you obviously see the, like they were, they were in a way they were useful. They prepared you, but you know, it's always a struggle to, to just accept it. Cause it's like when things are not good, you're just not happy. And yeah, while it's happening, you just wish the shit would end. <laughs> but one of the perfect examples that I've got is, uh, you know, at the time where 
things basically ended for my band, I was kind of pissed about it. I felt like we didn't get the proper shot on the last record. Like the, it was a very low ship amount and there was just this weird confusion about the promotion of it. So literally there was like no press at all because of uh, this deal between who was going to promote it and uh, the label. They had this little fight and so it didn't happen. I was pissed. I was really, really pissed. But had that not happened, say that the band had kept on going, because say that that release had gone well, we would have kept going, right? Who knows how many more tours, who knows how much longer. And it probably would have ended up in the exact same place just a year or two later. And then who knows if the opportunities that came my way would have come up, which then led to what I'm doing now, which is the coolest thing I've ever done. So had the band done better, it's entirely possible that I wouldn't be in the position I'm in now. The position I'm in now is far better than any position I would have been in as a result of that band. And it required us kind of getting, you know, a little fucked over uh, in order to get there. And uh, so that's that's my one of my examples of something that I thought was bad at the time. Now I see as not just a lesson, but a blessing. And I think that most bad things, most, some just suck. But uh, most bad things <laughs> you can look back at and uh, see that sort of... Uh, progression from or lesson i think yeah but i also think like it just doesn't happen magically it's up to you to use that as a like a, a lesson and make it better or like create something better or like use it in your on your event in your advantage otherwise it's, it is a waste of time and then you will only you're right hate the past for for like sucking you know well yeah because if you just let the event be the event by itself it is just a shitty event that sucks. I think it comes down to personality types. If you let something that is horrendous to overtake your soul, or if you use it as ammunition to make it to the next point in your journey, I think that's what it comes down to. And yeah. some people just quiver over and let it engulf them. And some people just say, right, let's get to fucking work. Or both. And yeah, obviously both happens to a lot of people without a doubt. First, you quiver over, let it overtake you, and then you get sick of that. Yep, and decide to move on. There's that too. And by the way, that was a that was a really cool record. Oh, the last one. Yeah, you, I oh, mean, thank you. I, I like all your guys' records and and the instrumental music that you guys like. That that one record you guys did. Yeah, I appreciate it. It's a lot of great stuff. Is that the one we spoke about, Al? The one that you did for uh, Magna Carta? That's the one. Shrapnel. Yeah, yeah, that was the instrumental one. The the last Doth record, the one that uh, we're talking about was, uh, I mean, a lot of work goes into lots of records, but it was uh, totally overlooked and it was too cool to get overlooked. <laughs> <laughs> did you, did you just say that? Where, All right. Okay. That's, huh? that's your new quote. Too cool to be overlooked. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I still feel that way. It's just one of those things where also one of the big lessons to me, and this is it's going to sound negative, but it's not how hard you work on something doesn't equal you deserving anything for it. No. So how hard you work on something and how awesome it turns out, you have to learn how to take some satisfaction in just doing something awesome because the, the next part, which is how the, 
whether the other people involved are going to do what they said or that the public's going to care, any of that shit. This is really not up to you. Whether you like it or not, it's not up to you. All you can do is do something awesome. And so, yeah, as disappointing as it could be if other things don't go according to plan, you have to find a way to take some sort of victory in doing something awesome, I think, which is easier said than done, but a very, very important lesson, I think. And honestly, we all got to really experienced one of the most sucky moments, which was last year when the, you know, the whole COVID thing started. It was a matter of figuring it out. Like things suck at the moment. How do I make it better for myself? You know, how do I, you know, change like, especially, I mean, for obviously for musicians, but like so many other jobs. And so pretty much everybody got affected in a way or another. And it was like a matter of how do I make it? So this is still going to be, good and I actually I'm gonna get something good from it you know out of this so what did you do oh for me it was just learn a bunch of software and study a bunch and uh you know it's like a you know took online classes of of programs that I wanted to learn and you know and recently I've been like I have so much work that I've been you know doing like since like pretty much like December like at first I, I didn't, even, last year I didn't even want to work. I would just like wanted to study. And, uh, and then not having any distraction was like the perfect time to just study a bunch. And, and now I'm just like, I'm trying to, you know, go back at writing for the uh, a possible third record. And I'm kind of like struggling with, you know, with, with jobs that job offers for, you know, 3d and cause like it, it one of the also reasons why I was like, uh, you know, I'm like, I'm into this because I know it's like the, the world needs it. It's like CG and 3d and all this stuff. It's, it's so, you know, on demand right now. It's like everybody, you know, if you have skills to do stuff like any modeling, any other stuff, you'll have a job, you know, and they're really well-paid jobs. And it's not because I need a, a second job. Music is not enough. It's just, it's fun for me. And then once I started, you know, getting involved with like, uh, you know, a studio environment and, uh, you know, work on a TV show and stuff like that. It's like, I can't believe it's like, this is happening in, in the same life. You know, it's like when I do all the cool stuff with music, but I'm also doing this other things. So like, for me, I'm seeing it that way. It's just like, I really, you know, I upgraded, you know, myself during the last year I was able to. Did you do the stuff for the band, like the most recent visualizer? Yeah, I did that. Looks fucking awesome. Thank you. And I did something similar for Fear Factory. I also did their cover, the latest cover. Sick. I mean, nothing wrong with working for musicians, but obviously I think like right now is like I'm having a great time being involved with like TV shows and, and things like that. It's it's even like more fun than, you know, doing a cover. Obviously, like I, it's, it's a lot of fun. But, you know, just like even experiencing like being working with the studio where you have like art directors and other concept artists and, and things like that. It's just like, it's like, I remember like this was before the pandemic. I worked on a, on a project for a TV show and everybody was already doing it remotely. And so once the, the project was done, we all met here in LA at the studio and everybody was like kind of knew each other because they were all like concept artists that do this. And I'm the guy who's like, 
tours and does music. And then <laughs> nobody knew who I was. And, uh, and then we started talking, introducing each other. And uh, I was just like, wow, what a weird, I don't know, chapter in a way of this, of my life that this could be. It's like doing things like really, you know, so, so different, but it, it feels so refreshing to just see a whole new industry. And so, yeah, that, that, and that's why it's like, I, I think I used last year to just like push that, you know, just like, uh, let's see where this could go. So just so people who are curious can see what I'm talking about is a track called More Than Dreaming. I just watched it as well. This band, Light the Torch. Yeah, it looks great. But what you just said about the pandemic is uh, you're making me think about what we kept saying on the podcast all the last year is uh, the people who take the time to better themselves during the pandemic are the people who, when it's over, are going to come out with the advantage and like I'm seeing it now that it was true because I know quite a few people who decided to use the time wisely and it has really paid off for people it goes to show that uh if you focus on something long enough and hard enough and don't let yourself get distracted within a year or a year and a half you can really change your reality you don't need a pandemic to do that I mean, people could still do it now or two years from now or whatever. It's really just a matter of focusing on something long enough and hard enough without diverting, basically. And there's two really good examples of that in this podcast right now. You know, Francesco with his 3D animation, but also AL with your regime with working out Yeah, in the last year and a half. Yeah. How's that been? Yeah, it, the, the pandemic allowed it in that I just had time. Couldn't go anywhere. <laughs> Which is weird because a lot of people couldn't go anywhere and so they just ordered pizza. I did that. Which is fine. You know, however people wanted to deal with it is their choice. But I got a lot out of uh, really, really just not letting the time go to waste, basically. Francesco, just out of curiosity, while you were working on all that, did you foresee TV projects and things like that happening? Like, was that in your mind? No, like, honestly, like, when I started getting some, like the first few paid jobs doing artwork, like I remember telling my wife, if I ever get to work on a big production or something like that, that would be the ultimate goal, you know, work on the, the studio or something like that. And actually that happened. And I was like, I can't believe it. It's like, I'm so lucky that I get to experience this. And then not only doing that made me feel like really good with myself because like it, it's not a matter of like thinking like oh dude i'm awesome i did this it's just like it's a reminder that you know there's still so much more that you can achieve there's no end to it it's like it, as long as you take care of your body that's something also that i learned a few years ago when i was just like well, would be work 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 and then just i started feeling like crap and so taking care of your body and and mental health is so so important and that's why i talk to a therapist once a week everybody should i agree I mean, if you can't do it, it's literally feeling like, you know, we're not made of steel, obviously, we're vulnerable, but there's so much that we can do. It's just like, and and at least I know for myself, I, you know, I'm just, I want to see so much more in my life that uh, opportunities and things like that. It's like, and it doesn't have necessarily to be with it, either with music or artwork. It could be like, I don't know, in, in a year or two, I'm going to discover something else and it's going to make me very happy to wake up in the morning and work hard. It's whatever it is. It's, it's what it's, it's making me enjoy 
being alive, you know? So it's, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's all about that for me. A repeating theme that I've noticed in your life is that you're able to achieve things very, very quickly through pretty much relentless focus and determination on it. And I think that, uh, it's really inspiring to hear how quickly things can happen if you just get obsessed with it. Like for instance, like we said at the beginning of the call, starting guitar kind of late in the game didn't stop you. And then guitar career opportunities eventually presented themselves. The graphics thing could also see it as starting late in the game, but didn't stop you either. I think that one of the biggest issues that I see with people, and I've seen this my whole life, and I try to get people to just stop doing this, is people get too scared to act. And the amount of time that they spend scared and thinking, like, what if it goes wrong? Should I? Should I not? Should I? Should I not? Before they even realize it, years go by. That's about as long as it would take to get something going if you just focused on it. The amount of time that they spend scared about things not working out, they basically create the reality of something not working out by not acting on it. Totally. Hey, you hear that all the time. It's like, I mean, it's not a matter of like, I, I don't judge and I don't want to sound like I judge, but so many times you hear people finding excuses. I mean, I find excuses and I'm honest with myself. Sometimes I just don't feel like doing certain thing and just watch Formula One on Sunday and not do anything for the rest of the day. You know, it's just like, it's fine. It's like, as long as you don't, you know, it's not that I need to be very proactive every day and it's it's not a race. It's just whatever feels right for you. But it's like, be honest with yourself and, and understand where you're like, you're finding too many excuses. Like there's people like be like, oh yeah, I, get, I constantly get phone calls. And I'm like, are you serious? So, well, then you turn it off. You just like this literally like, you know, I mean, I, I get it. Some people have a, you know, a day job. It's kind of hard to try to be an artist in the evenings because you're exhausted, spent mentally. In a way or another, there's a way to create the right environment for yourself to do what you want to do. So just out of curiosity, when uh, you're around people who have that fear and that inaction, what's your initial or your uh, gut reaction to that? For me, it's to get the fuck away, honestly, because <laughs> I don't want to be influenced by it. I mean, honestly, I try to be just very positive. If somebody tells me they wish they could do this, they wish you could do that. I usually am the guy who encourages it, you know? And it's like, yeah, man, just, you should really try. I, I would love to see it. you you do it. And it's like, I, I think like, I don't know, just, uh, but yeah, it's in a way or another, I don't really hang out with too many people who are like that. I, I think it's just, it happens, you know, in a way it's like even being, you know, married to my wife who was like crazy workaholic and just... I think like being a certain way, you end up hanging out with people a certain way, you know, even the, you, you know, the singer I work with, you know, Howard, he's a guy who can't stop being, you know, active and, and do things. It, it's just, it's kind of just how you end up being, I think like, and I think that's why we also work so well together because, because of that. But yeah, I mean, honestly, I used to be more, uh, in a way, maybe more negative, more of a try to avoid talking to people people a certain way or something like that. But like now I just try to maybe inspire a little bit. I try to inspire them through shit like this. 
like this podcast, but I try to avoid it in my real life because I know that I'm vulnerable to it. I think it's important to know what affects you positively and what affects you negatively, right? Expose yourself to the things that affect you positively. I, I really do believe that you end up being a product of the people that you interact with. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So if you're around positive people that are doing things and uh, are going places and have a great outlook, you're going to just naturally adopt that. Yes. You kind of become the average of the people you spend the most time around. So that's why I try to avoid it in my personal life. But uh, through stuff like the podcast, I think it's a great way to help influence people. Yeah. We can use Berkeley College of Music as a an example. Like to me, it's like, what's the best thing you got from it? It was being just surrounded by people who just wanted to do that as much as I wanted to do it. Because like, you know, coming from Italy, you know, we had music schools, we had things, but that's also like, I think the, the music kind of uh scene in italy it's it's a scene of a lot of excuses like we we're talking about all these people saying like oh man if i lived in america i think we could have done better i think like uh blah 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 oh because we live in italy so it's like live music kind of sucks it's like and you're not doing anything about it so you can't expect things to be better for yourself and then as soon as i got to berkeley I felt like, wow, all these people are like me, either like just obsessed with playing or just like just wanted to just be in an, an environment where you just, you know, you just breathe music and you just like just that's all you do. It's just being surrounded by music. That's what inspires you. I think that that was the best thing about those three years that I spent, you know, in school over there. Can we talk about leaving Italy? Yeah. This is very interesting to me because, you know, at URM, we have subscribers from all over the world, like all over the world. And I hear this all the time, like, how am I going to start a production career in Indonesia or something? And I know a bunch of people who either have been able to start careers in places that you would not think of as traditional recording industry places or who literally have just found a way to leave, go to LA or whatever, or Nashville or wherever it is they need to go. Gothenburg, right? Like I know people who have figured out a way to get there, to be a part of the metal scene there. Was it very clear to you that you needed to get out of Italy and come here? Yes. Yes. That was like pr pretty immediate. And I'm glad I, I was quick at, at picking that up. I just like, I saw how I was like, okay, all the good stuff that I listen to either happens in other countries in Europe and most of it in happens in, in the States, obviously UK being a, a huge also place for all that. So like, as soon as like, obviously knowing my parents, I, I was not going to be like, Hey, I'm just going to move to America and try to do the music. And also I didn't feel like the confidence of just trying on my own. I wanted to just kind of like the support of being, you know, I'm in a school with like a big name that will help, even though we all know that the big name doesn't really help you to get a job helps you, you know, I don't know, I guess maybe when you talk about it, but yeah, it, it doesn't, doesn't secure you a job or any of that with the, with the music school. But yeah, kind of like immediately at that time I was like, my brother, I started listening to dream theater and, uh, and basically like the, the same week that I started playing, you know, I started listening to, to dream theater as well. And then my brother told me, he's like, oh, they went to this school. And then that was like a week later telling my parents and then showing them like online and things like, hey, this is where I want to go. So it was kind of immediate. 
just in my head, I realized like, hey, this, I, you know, and, and through my brother, I think, because he had bands in Italy and my cousin also being a jazz guitar player, like seeing how much like they were both, you know, it's a struggle to try to even like make anything happen and not even having venues that let you play. And, uh, and so all that kind of like made sense. Just, I need to move out of here. And in a way, honestly, I, I guess like I never really felt, I mean, I obviously had like a lot of good friends in Italy and I still do, but there's something about the attitude of just make things happen that I kind of felt, even though I'd never been to the States, but I felt like in the States, I'm going to find that. That is part of the culture here. I've always referred to it as the jungle because uh, you can do really, really well, but it, it will eat you alive. But like, there's something in the culture here that is very much get shit done oriented. And if that's kind of how you are, then obviously kind of a, a perfect place. I've noticed also another theme that keeps coming up is that you're very good at, and not to sound lame, but you're very good at manifesting things like seeing you know, a certain outcome or a certain place that you need to be or a certain direction and then just finding a way to make it happen, whether it's fast or slow. Just out of curiosity, is this something that you do consciously? That's another thing that my, my therapist kind of analyzing me told me about. I'm, I'm a person who tries to... I'll send you an invoice after this. <laughs> I always try to make a plan in my head. You know, I'm the kind of guy that, you know, even if I'm like, you know, hanging out with friends and then we got to go to a place, we got to go to a restaurant or something. We got to make a reservation. I'm already thinking about everybody making a reservation. Everybody's like, I'm kind of like a guy who likes to plan things. And, uh, and in a way it's like, I heard it, it's kind of like the, the mind of usually like, a in a way, a leader, you know, trying somebody who's trying to, you know, have everything planned out for everyone or, and, it, and, and in a way it's like, it could sound like I'm, you know, I'm a bit of a control freak, but I really try not to. And, uh, and if I, if I sound like it, I, I'm not doing it on purpose, but yeah. So I'm like somebody who really thinks about every decision that I make. And sometimes this is actually like a bit of a curse. Like my wife makes fun of me cause I've been trying to buy a new monitor monitor for like my computer and and, it, and I've been talking about it for a year and I like literally read every possible review and everything like now new models coming out. I was like, well, at this point, I'm just going to wait a few more months. And then yeah. so it, I'm, I'm like terrible at making certain kind of decisions. I just want to make sure I'm making the perfect decision, the right decision. How do you balance that? Because I think that oftentimes waiting to make the perfect decision is a huge mistake for people. Like think so we call it bias towards action. We stole it from Amazon with the idea being that, yeah, you should do some planning, of course, right? Like you need a plan and all that stuff. But in reality, uh, for, to, for me, it's 10% planning, 90% execution. And you refine the plan through action because theories are great, but it's not until you actually get into the field that, you'll know what to do next. So, you know, none, none of us are psychic. So plans are only so good, you know, without any plan at all, you're obviously just leaving it up to luck. How do you balance that idea of, you know, making the right decision with just fucking getting to it? Yeah. Obviously you just fucking get to it and make things happen. Yeah. It, it definitely, 
I have time where I'm really stressed out about things. Like, for example, right now, it's like the fact that there's a few things going on with the band. We're trying to, you know, we're organizing things. And then meanwhile, I'm like doing some work and then I'm being asked to do other work. And then I'm trying to fly to Italy and we're trying to fly to Iceland. My, my wife's from Iceland. So there's like so all these things that need to happen within a month or two. And, and it's really stressing me out a lot, you know, because I'm like, <laughs> because I don't have a plan. If I had a plan, it was like from this day till this day, this is happening. And then, and then when I'm, I'm in control, like, let's say my work, I plan it that way. But when it's things depending on other people, you know, they're just, just like traveling or band stuff where, you know, I'm also waiting on other people's schedules. That's when I get stressed out, you know? So it's, uh. I'm definitely like, and, and I'm, I'm aware. And, and, and I try to, I, I've been working on getting better. And then like the whole thing that everybody says, like, there's no point in stressing out regarding something you can't, you don't have control over, right? If you can't control it, don't stress out about it. And so I'm trying to be better at it, but yeah, I'm, a, I'm the, the master planner. I plan everything. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. You, uh, you say that it's, uh, one of the things that I told my girlfriend quite recently was not to get stressed out about money. And I have always had this tendency even before I was doing anything that I do now. Whereas when it was time for rent and I didn't have any money, it would just kind of magically appear from somewhere. Like I'd manifested it because I hadn't worried about it. <laughs> and for some reason, it always just appeared in my account and I'd be able to pay the rent. And it's still to this day, I don't really understand how that happened. But I think that there's some beauty in not getting stressed about things that you have no control over. Easier said than done, though. Oh, it's way easier said than done for sure. But I think that stressing about things that you might not have control over just like makes the situation worse when it does come to a head. Whereas you would think about it more analytically when it actually happens rather than being like an explosion of stress. Yeah. I guess one of the one of the things that I wonder though about stressing about things you can't control or you think you can't control is how do you actually determine that you've got no influence on the situation? <laughs> That's actually a good point, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Because it might seem like you have no influence on the situation, but by thinking about it a lot, you might figure out a way to change it. Now, obviously some things like a asteroid hitting earth that's a little <laughs> pointless to stress out about right oh yeah i feel like um we have a lot more control over our lives than we give ourselves credit for it's just a choice of which things to focus on absolutely did she listen and not stress out over money yeah she did oh wow that was good it's impressive yeah and um Funnily enough, actually, I'm just going to go back to the start of this call with uh, Francesco's injury. My my girlfriend actually also injured herself doing ballet. So she, from the age of three till 16, she went to a boarding school for ballet, um, a school here called Tring. It's owned by the Rothschilds um, and also got an injury and then couldn't do it anymore. So she shifted her focus to artwork. And after meeting me, she quit a job and actually started focusing on the artwork, which she actually does really well with now in That's the awesome. span of just a few years. Um, and it's quite interesting how that story was quite relatable to how it worked for you as well with the guitar. Um, cause she, fo she started focusing, like she went to university for art, went to college for art, and then now does it as a full-time job. That's awesome. Like you with guitar. Yeah. It's quite interesting that when you have the correct focus and 
not stressing about the wrong things that you can actually get quite a lot of shit done. Absolutely. Yeah. One thing I'm curious about with your guitar playing, and now that you uh, have gotten to a point where it's more about visualization and less about super technical practice, I'm sure, though, that you have figured out ways to advance quickly technically when you need to. Like, you figure out how to focus on the right things. Am I right? Yeah. I think one of the, like, for anybody who's doing... uh I guess like just overall, it's one of the most important skills, I guess, to have. I think it's being able to tell yourself if it's good or not. So like with, with music, the good thing is that you can just record yourself and now it's gotten easier and easier to, to do so. So it's like anytime you record yourself, you like get to really analyze this and see if it's good or not. Like I remember the first time I ever heard myself, you know, recorded and this was like, you, you know, I, shortly after started playing and in my head i thought i was like oh this is sounds pretty decent and then i listened to it back and i was like this is terrible it's like what the hell (laughs) and then it automatically made me think like i need to work like a hundred times harder than i'm working it's it's not even close so i think like being able to really tell what you need to improve um what do you need to work on it's it's fundamental for for anything like uh, that that you're doing, and uh, and I think like at this point, and it's actually interesting how like I see the 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 similarity between uh, doing artwork and doing music, how you you can tell when something's not good yet. You know, it, you kind of develop the the skill of of being pretty quick at, at picking that up, and I think like at this point, it's like with music, it, it's it's to the to the level like if I had to learn something again, that is like, uh, like harder than what I'm, I'm, I'm playing nowadays, you know, I'll be able to probably, I'll be quicker at picking that up again because of, you know, just the experience of having, having done that many times and, and seeing like very quickly what's not right yet, or one needs to uh, improve, be improved, you know? I actually think that your personality trait of being so detailed with planning and all of those other things that you do with your daily life has actually been a massive advantage when it comes to your guitar playing and your work with 3D modeling and stuff like that. Because it's really made you focus on the details that maybe other people don't pick up on as much as you did. Like, cause when, when I was in the early stages of playing guitar, just an example, I would have never have thought that that take that I recorded was crap. That came significantly later. And it's not that I wasn't particularly paying attention to the details. I wasn't aware of them. And that's just something that came with time, but it appears that that's always been part of you when it came to playing the instrument. Yeah. I, I guess just being somebody who maybe pays a lot of attention just in general, it's like, I don't know, just, uh. You know, but like, but like you're saying, like, yeah, definitely somebody who's always pay a lot of attention to like the, even the smallest details. And it's always like something that, again, it's, it's part of like something that fascinates me, you know? One of the things that I think, like you said, is really hard for people to do is to know when something's good. And, uh, you know, I get these questions all the time, like when it comes to, uh, EQing, for instance, like, how do you know? which frequencies to remove or what level should something be at when it comes down to it. The reason that someone hires a certain mixers because they know 
these decisions. They, they understand how to just exactly how much of something to remove or add. And it's not so much understanding the technique because lots of people can understand the technique. It's knowing exactly what the right amount of it is, um, you know, spread out over the course of an entire mix. And same with, uh, you know, tracking guitars. I've heard so many people send me, uh, their tracks and they're just so sloppy, so crappy. And they think that they're great and they can't hear that the tracks aren't uh, tight. And one of the first times that I realized that this is actually more complicated than it seems is when the first time that I was uh, mixing something that somebody sent into me where it wasn't tight enough like the first time that this happened and I asked them to retract the guitars because it was just so sloppy and out of tune that it was just, it was a problem. So they agreed and they retract the guitars and they were not any better. <laughs> um, and then I realized, wait a second, why would they get better? They allowed this to happen in the first place because they didn't know any better. What happened between when they did this and now that would have changed anything. They're still the same people. They still, you know, it's not like a year has gone by where they've had the chance to improve. It's only been a few days. Of course, they're not better. They didn't even know in the first place that the shit's sloppy. So how do you get people who aren't able to hear these things or perceive these things to even know when something is good enough or not good enough? Some people just don't, I don't know, don't hear it, don't have it. And they just need time, don't they? They just need time. It's like a hangover. You just need time. Yeah. <laughs> but, and also it's like maybe somebody who tells them at some points, like, or shows them like how it's really supposed to be done. You know, it's like, I remember like the first time that I sat down, like this was uh, at Berkeley actually, but, and record something and it, that is supposed to be, you know, down well. Right. And then how much like, you know, when you start seeing like all the editing that gets done and it's just like, you're trying to make things sound perfect, but not, but not totally perfect because they still need to sound natural, obviously. And that's when I, I kind of realized that you start listening to in headphones and then left and right guitars and, and stuff like that. It's like, wow, it really, they really need to be like almost perfect because if they're not, it just sounds like shit. And, uh, and I think like actually some people never probably had the chance to have someone tell them. Again, it's not because it's not out there. You can go on YouTube and find a million videos that would probably teach you. So it also shows the type of person. It's like, you know, it's like I'm I'm the kind of person before I ask a question, if I can't, I, I Google it or I go on YouTube or I try to, you know, before asking, hey, how do you do this? But some people just don't have that. But there's also the bit before that though, isn't there? There's the bit like, you can't ask the question if you don't know what it is. I remember at school and we were, some of the training that we used to get was to understand the timbre of the instruments. And for the longest time, I couldn't really tell the difference between a few of the different woodwinds within a woodwind section, like, you know, such as an oboe or a clarinet. Um, and I didn't know what I was listening for. I didn't understand the tonal difference at the time. So I wasn't able to ask the question what I was listening for or looking for. 
And I think that that's where it gets a little bit difficult if you don't know what you're listening for, such as with Al's example, when he said retract these guitars, there wasn't really, I'm guessing that you didn't give an example, right, Al? <laughs> Eventually, yes, because I ended up replaying the stuff for them. Oh, there you go. <laughs> yeah, once I realized that they were not understanding, I just redid it. But the thing is, I have done that for people and they still don't hear the difference always. And then I've heard the exact opposite situation where, you know, there's this dude in Australia who hired me to mix his stuff, but like he's the classic local band scenario where working on the same eight songs for 10 years. Um, <laughs> and he just kept recording them and re-recording them and re-recording them and re-recording them and re-recording them again because they just needed to be tighter, needed to be tighter. And I listened to the tracks and they were like as tight as you could ever hope for anything to be. Like there was <laughs> literally nothing wrong with them. The tone in the hands was great. It was perfectly in time, played with a really good feel. It was just really good. And uh, there was nothing I could say to him to get him to understand that it's fine. Like, <laughs> you're doing a great job. So I think at the same time that some people can't hear when something is good or bad, like they also will impose their self-worth onto it. So if he thought that he wasn't good enough to do this in the first place, that he's going to be listening to his tracks through that paradigm, I guess, of the, my tracks will never be good enough. And he will invent things to uh, focus in on that aren't even an issue. Now, I have worked with people who have been very influential in my life, who have helped me understand which issues are worth worrying about and which aren't in a mix or when tracking, like what you can let go and what you can't. But I've definitely seen it where people freak themselves out over nothing wrong at all. It's just as bad as when people can't hear that something is terrible and results the same. Nothing moves forward. So I feel like there's something instinctual that you have to develop. It's hard to explain because, you know, it's feel, but you do need to be able to feel when something is right. You need to be able to hear it, feel it, and be able to trust that in yourself. And I think that that's really hard to explain to someone who doesn't know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and also like in some cases, it also kind of depends on the music that people are used to listen to. I think it's like, it's probably... If you listen to punk your entire life, you might not deliver the most, the tightest guitar tracks, you know, because like anybody who's, for example, like, I don't know, in my case, in our cases, obviously for all three of us, like with the music that we, we've done, that we do, it's, you know, once you add that, you know, element of, you know, technicality, proficiency, and, you know, it's like all the bands that we obviously listened to before were doing it right. So I, I guess it's also like your ears pick is picking up those, you know, those like little details that things need to sound a certain way. Yeah. So say that you get a guitar student. I don't even know if you teach, but let's just say that if you did teach and you get a guitar student and you notice that they have these big goals, but are kind of, you know, like a chicken with their head cut off, don't know what to focus on, don't know what sounds good, what doesn't sound good aren't able to judge their performances, how would you start to analyze what they could do to get better? I think like every case could be different. It's like it would be a matter of like under trying to understand 
why they're not hearing certain things. Because like there are some people that are just naturally not skilled just like to to pick up on certain things. And there are people like like John was saying, like they just weren't told. And then once you tell them, hey, make sure you're you're following like a a rhythm. You know, just like, I don't know, try to clap your hands or tap your foot, something like that, and, and try to be in times like, and, and then there's like, oh, wow. It's like, oh, okay. And then they start doing it. So it, it is kind of like, it really changes from person to person, I think. And honestly, like the question you're asking is also one of the reasons why it kind of like, I basically stopped teaching <laughs> because, <laughs> because, you know, we all started, you know, from zero, obviously. So I'm, I'm, I don't expect just two people to show up and being great. It's just that, you know, some people just like are fun to teach, you know, to, and, uh, and some people are, are not. And then I kind of like, you know, usually the people who really struggle understanding certain things are, are the kind of the people's like, eh, maybe find another teacher. Okay. How about this then? Say that you were going to learn a new instrument yeah, that you don't know anything about other than you like it. Mm-hmm. You like what it sounds like. Say you have an hour a day, like tonight, you're going to learn, I don't know, maybe you play drums. So let's just say you're going to become a drummer in the next year. How would you plan out actually learning it? Well, first, like I would definitely try to have a, like some kind of, you know, a teacher, somebody who, who's going to show me the right things. It's like, I think like, YouTube and all that stuff, it's like great and super useful. I think like, especially like the first impact, the first like, you know, bit of knowledge that you get about an instrument, it like a good teacher will be ideal. And, uh, and so it's like, I would probably start with that. And, uh, and then after that, it'd be like, I would probably get obsessed <laughs> with it and just <laughs> reading about any, everything that I can and research and just, I mean, I really like, I, I mean, you, you pick drums. I'm actually like, I love drums so much that, you know, I, if I watch like videos of people playing the, you know, playthroughs or stuff like that, it's probably going to be a drum video more than any other instrument. I just love, you know, yeah. drums so much, but yeah. So just, uh, you know, and, and try to really understand the actual, like every single, you know, like, you know, bit of movement and things like how this is supposed to be. And, and honestly, it's, it's kind of like you're talking about drums, but like, as of right now, I'm like, this is still a hobby, obviously, but I got a little obsessed with the playing golf. Oh, sick. And the whole thing about golf is the fact that what I love about it, it's, it's, it's actually like how difficult the actual, the movement, like the swing is. Right. Yep. So unnatural. So unnatural. And literally every, every single like position has like, you know, this degree needs to be like this, this, and it's perfect for me, you know, cause I love this kind of stuff. It's like studying like, like that. And so like, I, I think I would approach like for me, music, it's in, in terms of like actually learning the, the instrument, I would approach the same way, trying to kind of like, you, you know, like study the angles and, and things like that, all like how you're supposed to, you know, your shoulders, how this, like all this, all this, all these aspects. And because I, I think like at this point with music, I me mean, obviously it helps that I've done music for, for many years and you, you develop a, cer- a certain like feeling for, you know, things. So if I were to start learning a new instrument, uh, it's not that I would start from zero. You know, I think like, being able already to play another instrument, you kind of start from like, I don't know, 
50% almost of the work is done, I think. With golf, did you find that it was like you have some days where you think, yeah, I'm doing all right. And then there's the next day you go and do it. And it is like you just want to throw the clubs oh, on the other side of the... Oh, God. Yeah, this happened <laughs> This happened two, two days ago. I, I was literally oh, really? like, what the hell? <laughs> and it keeps happening. It's just like yeah. you, you, you get better and then you have like a few weeks where it feels like, okay, now it's it's getting like i'm pretty satisfied and all of a sudden it's like you show up one day and you can't even hit the ball straight it's just just <laughs> it, it's so frustrating and then i it literally is. have moments where just like i get you know pissed but like i really try to have golf just like a i usually just like if it's like my lunch break you know i just go i have a golf range here it's like an, an hour like a five minutes from my house so like i don't know i spend like an hour let's say they're hitting balls and, uh, and to me, it's like one, it's like good. So I, I'm actually outside for like at least yep. an hour because otherwise I'll be like home all day. And the other thing is like, it, it's still physical, you know I mean? It's not like you're, you're there like doing so much moving, but it's like still like a physical activity. And, um, and, and it, it does like, when you have the good day, like, uh, it's like therapy. You're just like in a good mood i'm like wow yeah today was felt great but like you're saying like you have those days where it's just horrible and i'm actually get even you know I, I get home i'm actually pissed my wife can tell she's like did you go play golf today <laughs> <laughs> yes yeah, so uh, oh man but i also i i started obviously only a few years ago and uh and unfortunately, I had to stop playing for two years because of uh, a car accident. And so now slowly I'm getting back at just playing a little more. And but yeah, it's uh, such a fun thing. You play as well? Uh, I haven't played since the last time I was in L.A. actually, which would have been the last time I saw you maybe or maybe I did it was the year before. But I spent seven weeks in L.A. and played uh, about eight times for the first time in about five years. Okay. And I haven't played five years since then, but I used to do it quite a lot as a kid. Oh, okay. But yeah, as you say, it is just complete anger inducing. And <laughs> like, uh, yeah, that's one of the main reasons that I haven't played it actually. It's just that it just brings out the worst kind of person in me. <laughs> <laughs> I know that you got to go in like a few minutes. So the thing I kind of want to end this episode with is just the idea of the need to get obsessed with something if you really want to get good at it, whether you're doing it as a hobby or an actual career pursuit. And it reminds me of uh, when we were starting Riff Hard. I remember talking to you, Brown, a lot and telling you, you really need to just get obsessed with it. Everything else aside, this works when you get obsessed. I remember anything that's gone well in my life has involved some period of total obsession with it, whether, you know, it was guitar or writing or when starting URM learning marketing or whatever, whatever it was, it involved a period of total obsession. And the thing about it is um, people ask about how do you get motivated? How do you do this stuff? And you shouldn't really need someone to tell you how you should just be curious enough to want to actually explore what's involved. And I think that like what you said about how you try to not ask a question to somebody else until you've already done the research yourself, right? That right there is like the perfect example to me of uh, if you're doing that, 
you know that your head's in the right place because uh, you're taking, you're being proactive and taking the initiative to figure this shit out for yourself and not waiting for the world to give you an answer on what it is. Obviously, there's some things that could come from other people. That's why you said get a teacher. And I totally agree. Like there's nothing better than having a mentor or an expert to help you. But at the end of the day, even if you do have the best teacher in the world, you're not going to get the best instruction unless you're asking the right questions. And uh, it's a waste of time to ask them stuff that you could just figure out for yourself by Googling or doing five minutes of work. So that curiosity to take things to the next level has to be there. And uh, what I think throws a lot of people off is that they don't get all the answers right away to how to do something, how to get better at it. But that comes to you as a result of being curious and obsessed with something long enough and, you know, showing back up to work on it over and over and over and over and over and over again. These, uh, you start to figure out the right questions to ask. Just out of curiosity, have you noticed that too, that the quality of your questions improve as you get deeper into something? Absolutely. The more you, you get into it and understand more, then you're going to have the the right question uh, to ask. And uh, and like I was saying, like, it's like how it's like people, sometimes they ask a teacher or, or a mentor, if they ask things like, how do I get inspired or how do I, where do I find, how do I find the motivation and things like that? To me, those are kind of weird questions. If you're asking those questions, you're kind of maybe not ready for this yet. It's like, I, I don't know. It's like, at least for me, I never had to ask somebody, Hey, how do I get inspired to work harder? How do I get, that's just what you, you should feel like doing. It's like, it, otherwise, and I think like, to me, it all comes down to, I think the book is called Mastery just mastery. Oh yeah. That's a good book. Yeah. It's a great book by Robert Greene, right? Yes. You discover something new and you get excited. Right. And that's the moment that everybody gets excited. Everybody's like, oh, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. But the, the, the part that you really should uh, embrace and enjoy is the plateau that comes after the excitement where you actually put the work. And then we are, where you are now seeing incredible progress or incredible excitement anymore, but you just work hard. And and it's kind of like a matter of learning how to enjoy that time where you just, you know, it's, it's, you don't get the excitements, like the whole thing's like, oh, I'm gonna, I need to feel inspired listening to this, you know, I mean, I get inspired, obviously listen to like certain people, but it, it's, that shouldn't be the motivation to, to do something, you know, to me, at least that's, that's how I see it. So it, it should just come from wanting to do it and wanting to just find a way to better yourself in, in what, what you like to do. Plus motivation is one bad day away from getting destroyed. <laughs> yes, yeah. it is. Right. Do the thing anyways. Absolutely. Well, Francesco, thank you for uh, coming on. It's been a pleasure catching back up with you. Thank you guys. It was good to see you. And uh, I mean, I, kind of saw you in the beginning, but, but now I was yeah. like, this was like a, a lot of fun. L love talking to you guys. You guys have a, a lot of great, you know, knowledge and, and things to say. It's a, it's a pleasure. Thank you. Likewise. And hopefully when we see each other again, I'll be able to play you against that game of golf and you'll see just how angry I can get. Yeah. <laughs> it will be two angry people. <laughs> awesome. Well, I like that lad. He was sick. Great chatting to him. I had a lot of fun.
Yeah, it's inspiring to talk to someone that's always doing something to push their own boundaries. Yeah, impressive that he uh, practically learned a complete new program over the course of COVID. And it's not like it was something easy. Like people go to university for years to learn that stuff. Yeah, and he's done this multiple times. Like uh, we barely even talked about this, but I mean, he's got a film scoring degree. It's insane. Yeah. The guy, the guy's a machine. I understand that not everyone's going to be able to learn that fast or have certain talents, but it just goes to show what's possible when you throw yourself into something. I think that, as I was saying during the episode, the skill set that he has in his everyday life is very beneficial for when it comes to learning. It almost comes from, I guess, from doing mixed martial arts or even going to Berkeley or even just organizing his time properly. He know he seems to know what questions to ask that are important because there's no way you can make that much progress on something unless you're asking the right questions and focusing on the correct stuff. Well, the thing is that uh, there is a method to learning new things and asking the right questions. Oftentimes, the right questions aren't, you know, something super technical. Oftentimes, the right question is, what can I do right now to move the ball forward just a little bit? What could I do today to just get a little bit better at this? What's the thing that I left undone? You know, asking super simple questions like that will usually yield an answer that tells you what to do. Even if, what is it that I can do today to move the ball forward? And it's like, well, I need to learn how the file menu works in this new program I'm learning. Or, you know, you can, by just asking that, you can come up with a list of a bunch of things that you know you don't know. Yeah, you can. And just go from there. But they're quite specific things, you know, when it comes to learning, like talking about how to get inspiration from that's almost too broad a question because it doesn't really have a simple answer. Whereas, you know, what you were referring to then were answers that can be simplified quite easily, even though there's a lot of them, they're easily answerable when you search. But Well, that's the trick, isn't it? Is uh, any huge task can be accomplished by breaking it down into thousands of tiny tasks of course but that's what if you're asking the right question to begin with which is you know brings us to the point of how do i get inspired <laughs> i don't like that question at all i don't either <laughs> well my my initial thought right now was how do you get inspired is you don't no you just fucking get on with it <laughs> yeah and it happens or it doesn't the inspiration part and the best part is as you said to get obsessed with it once you're obsessed with something all the pieces just collapse into place in it can be you know tomorrow it could be next week it could be next month but they'll eventually collapse into place into this beautiful harmonious when everything gets understood basically you know it it happens probably quite often for you like it does for me certain things just fall into place when things click from asking the right questions yeah, it happens sometimes instantaneously. Sometimes I need to prod it. <laughs> sometimes not at all. But I've noticed that typically it happens because I start wondering how to go about something. And I just start doing a little bit of research, like he said, or brainstorming something. And then that lights a, lights something up in my head, I guess. It just, it just happens. Like it rarely happens though on its own. Like every once in a while, it'll just like hit me in the shower or whatever. But usually 
it's a result of taking some sort of deliberate action. Now, it doesn't always happen when I'm taking the action. I can sit there and do some research or brainstorm and nothing's happening and then go for a walk and then it hits me on the walk. But it's not just coming out of nowhere. It's coming because I did the work to get to that point. Yeah. And I guess that's the problem with some people is they're not willing to do the work to get to that point, which is why you get people that quit when maybe from asking the wrong questions or maybe they just don't want to overcome the hurdles. Well, yeah, because when you're asking questions and you're being honest, you might not like the answers you get. That's very true as well. Well, yeah, like if you if uh, you're asking how how do I achieve some goal and you start to break it down into little steps and you realize that shit's going to take you years. <laughs> sounds like riff hard. <laughs> sounds like riff hard. <laughs> sounds like everything that's worthwhile, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, like, I'm, you know, go back, going back to you saying to me, you need to be obsessed with riff hard. And it did take a little while. Obviously I was always in it for the long game. Otherwise we wouldn't be here now, but it's the understanding of what you meant in that moment. And what happened was it was, I had all these questions because there's loads of aspects of what we do that I had no, absolutely no fucking idea what I was doing. But once a certain number of those questions were answered, the obsession kind of took over because the understanding wasn't holding me back from doing certain parts of it, if that makes sense. So I think that once you overcome that hurdle with anything that you do and you can become obsessed with, I think that's almost the catalyst or the fire to want to take you to the next point. And some people find that earlier than others. But looking, that that's always a pretty sure bet for finding it. Um, True. Now, one of the things that, that I think gets in the way for people is their schedule. You know, maybe they don't have a pandemic and nothing to do. And now, the thing is, I'm saying this because I'm sure some people listening will say, well, yeah, I had to work during the pandemic or I've got kids and a job. Like I can't just sit there and learn something new. But let me just remind everybody that Francesco has done this multiple times in his life. Like this isn't the first time that he learned how to do something really difficult at a professional level. He's pulled that same thing off many times. Film scoring, getting good at guitar, signed bands, now the graphics, etc. It doesn't take a pandemic for him to figure out how to do something. And I think like we were saying that part of it comes down to having a good schedule and managing your time wisely. Yes. And mindset, like uh, people that say they don't have time and yeah, most of their days might be filled up with having a nine to five job, uh, kids having to cook kids food, get them bed, bathe. But then I wonder how many minutes or hours in the day are spent looking at this. I'm looking at my phone right now. Well, it's funny. Instagram will tell you, so will Facebook. Exactly. I mean, you you, you can get it. I get uh, notifications on my phone that tell me the screen time. Yeah. Every single week, you know, um, and that's a really good, that's a good motivator in a way, because it makes you feel kind of guilty about like that time that you spent doing absolutely nothing. <laughs> yeah, I have an alarm on my Instagram and Facebook for 30 minutes a day. Oh, really? Yeah, as soon as I'm on there longer than 30 minutes, it tells me like a speed alarm on my car. Anyone can do that. I would be very curious to know most people who say they don't have 
any time. I would be curious to know how long they spend, like you said, scrolling, how long they spend on Netflix, how long they spend video gaming. And there's nothing wrong with any of these things if that's what they want to do. But let's be honest with ourselves. Also, not just that, you can get a hell of a lot done in 20 or 30 minutes if uh, if you approach those 20 or 30 minutes properly. Yeah, I mean, just think 20, 30 minutes, how far can you run? You could run, what, probably two to three miles in 20 minutes? Yeah. Uh, obviously, that's the best for a lot of people. I definitely couldn't do that. But <laughs> Even if you run one mile, you still ran a mile. That's true, yeah. Yeah, and uh, I mean, we have a solution for that at Riff Hard. Yeah, we do. It's called the schedule. Organizing your time to make the maximum amount of results in as little a time as possible. Yeah, because uh, I know we realize that there's a lot of videos on the site and guitar can be super overwhelming and you factor in a modern busy life and it can seem like an insurmountable obstacle to get better. But we have the schedule which is, you know, the shred schedule, down to 20, 40, or 60-minute increments, you know, you will improve from any one of those. Any one of them. You just follow it. Yeah. Even if you only have 20 minutes a day, like in a in a week, you can notice some pretty amazing results. I mean, that's two hours, 20 minutes a week. And if that's all you've got, that's all you've got. But two hours on the guitar, focusing on the correct things, that could be a, a night and day difference especially um, if you've not been focusing on the right things for the years prior. I mean, um, we see it from guitar players, you know, guitar players that have been playing for two years and there's some guitar players that maybe are still learning some basic chords, but then you've got some guitar players that are complete monsters. Um, I mean, Francesco was one of them, got into Berkeley after playing guitar for two and a half years. So just the, the amount of results that you can get in such a short period of time can be night and day. Yeah, and I knew a guy at Berkeley who had been at Berkeley for two and a half years and was just fucking around. And at the end of two and a half years, um, he still didn't know a single scale. Which, look, I'm not saying you need to know your scales, though it helps, but if you're at Berkeley studying guitar <laughs> and you're in the guitar program for two and a half years, how do you not know any scales? How Like, how is that even possible? Well, it was possible because all he did was do drugs and fuck around and party and all that. And meanwhile, you get people like Francesco who utilize the time properly and two and a half years changed their lives completely. Yeah. I mean, that guy in probably enjoyed Well, if he remembers enjoying his time, but you don't need to go to guitar school for that and waste a load of money. <laughs> No. You know, yeah. Um, I mean, if that's what he wanted to do, then that was his prerogative. But if focusing on the instrument is your prerogative, then in two and a half years, if you haven't learned a scale, then I'd suggest maybe trying something else. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, and again, yeah. you don't have to be at Berkeley to get better. You don't have to have six hours a day to get better. You, nope. All you have to have is the determination and the discipline. Determination, discipline, and the drive. And then once you've seen the improvements that you can make in 20 minutes a day, then you will definitely find more time to even fit in more, um, more exercises, more songwriting, and more. Just from 20 minutes. 
And if you don't have 20 minutes, I don't know what to tell you. Everyone has 20 minutes. I know. That's what I'm saying. Like <laughs> someone listening is like, yeah, I don't even have that. It's like, well, what are we even talking about then? Yeah. <laughs> Wake up 20 minutes earlier, uh, go to bed 20 minutes late, 20 minutes on your lunch break just to pick up the guitar. You can find 20 minutes in a day. Of course you can. You just have to decide to. Yeah, it's a choice. Yeah, all of this is. Well, Brown, it's been a pleasure. As always, mate, I will see you next week. Yes, sir. Thanks for listening to the Rivard Podcast. We'll see you next week. <laughs>